scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one only one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought along the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid the gold in the ground. So here is what, you belong, what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Before I begin, I wanted to make mention of something that is in the uh, bulletin that is available uh, as you enter. It's an update on something we purchased for the June Heart Ramp School. Precious, the bus. And I, as you can see, they're in need of some repairs, and they're rather expensive over there, and, uh, and the scope of them. And some of you, as you look at it, you're thinking, wow, it's been, what, five, six years in such, you know, such an investment here? But I want to tell you, right from the get-go, um, it's been a different five years for them. You know what it's like to drive around here, and sometimes we complain about things like uh, Route 322 and 222 right now and all that they're digging up there and everything. But in Moyamba, it's very different. For example, Freetown to Moyamba is somewhere between around 40 to 45 miles as the crow flies. You would think you could make that drive well, in fact, there's a major highway that goes from Freetown up to Moyamba Junction and down. But if you travel that way in Moyamba, because of the roads, the paved roads, it will take you three hours to get there. They're just terrible roads. 
And if you drive in Freetown, which they do, they use the bus to come into Freetown, and Freetown's traffic is like you have never seen. You can literally sit in traffic for 20 minutes at a time and barely get from one traffic light to another. People coming in and out, all of it. And the wear and tear on vehicles there, and even in Moyamba, there's no, there's no paved roads left in Moyamba. The dirt road coming in from Moyamba Junction is, is actually pretty well to make, cared for, but it's a dirt road. Um, and it's about the best road that you're going to drive on. But in Moyamba, the same thing. And so the wear and tear on vehicles is kind of like not five years, we're thinking ten years. Anyway, the need is there. And if you would like to be part of meeting that need, we're, we're asking you to do that. Uh, there's information about how you can get the money to give to that. Uh, we're going to find a way. Um, first, there's an appeal to you. If you'd like to do that, please feel free to do that. And we want to try to bless them and get that van back up and running. Well... Matthew 20, 25, the second parable. And you understand when you begin the parable, it says this, and it will be, it will be. What, will, what is the it? The kingdom of heaven. Remember the, in verse 1, at that time the kingdom of heaven was be comparable. It will be like, this is, the same, this is a continuation of that. The kingdom of heaven. What the kingdom of heaven is going to be like in that day. So I want you to have that. Now, I wonder if any of you ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? It's Tom Cruise. It's uh, Jack Nicholson. It's a movie about two Marines that are charged for murder, and it's a legal drama, and it's all the things that went into it and all of this, and literally, they are fighting for their lives because they followed an order, and that order resulted in the death of of a fellow soldier. Um, They are up. They're they're being charged in a court-martial for murder and conspiracy to murder and also conduct unbecoming to a, to a Marine. Anyway, the whole drama goes through and it's, it's a great, it's, it really is a great movie and it's a great drama and it's well written, all of that. But at the end, you kind of know where it's going to go up to a point. And so when they declare, the, 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 the jury declares that they're not guilty of murder and they're not guilty they're not guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. Oh, wow. But the final charge is conduct unbecoming a Marine. And they are found guilty of that. And it stuns everyone, the lawyers and the two defendants. Stuns them. It's the last thing they wanted. And the punishment, the judgment for that is to be dishonorably just discharged to what they were giving their life to. And there's two Marines, uh, Lance Corporal Dawson and Private Downey. And Private Downey, he's just a special kind of a guy. He stands up at the end when the court is dismissed and he stands there and he says, what did we do wrong? What did we did nothing wrong? And Lance, his buddy Lance, they were best friends. Lance Corporal Dawson says, yes, we did. We, did. we were supposed to fight for people who couldn't fight for themselves. And the guy that died, his name was Willie. We were supposed to fight for Willie, even in the face of what they were ordered to do. Really good. 
I want you to hold on to that because there's a part of this parable that we're looking at that, that has this astonishing kind of ending. And, and I wonder sometimes if this third servant would just stand up after, after Jesus gives the, or whoever makes the judgment, the master makes a judgment and say, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? It's a question you have to answer. It's a, actually, it's a fairly difficult question to answer in the, we just kind of accept it, but it's difficult. When we think about judgment and judges and justice, and it's a difficult question when we hear this passage read, the hearing, the reading, the understanding, the, the interpretation we make internally hearing this judgment. And it calls into question not God, although we might call into question God, but it calls into question our knowledge of God, which as human beings is always incomplete, incomplete at best, even when we get to heaven because he's incomprehensible. Even when we're up in heaven looking at him all that time and we have all those billions and billions of years, still incomprehensible, incomplete. And here on earth, fallible and mistaken. And for some people, a vile, sin-filled understanding of God. And too often a projection of our own lives, either what has happened to us or what we are like. Now a quick look at the parable, it really is, the kingdom is compared, the kingdom of heaven is compared. So it's the second in this series, after Matthew 24, the end times, talking about what it's going to be like at the day of judgment. Please note that. It's the end times. It's going to be, he's specifically talking, these parables are that day of judgment. The ten virgins, the judgment, that moment of judgment. In this one, the master's return. He's settling accounts. And by the way, there's great use here of financial stuff. For all of you who are up on finances and all of that, you need to look at this and understand because everything in it, go to the bank, get interest. You know, all of this, it's all about settling of accounts. And what a great... Uh, Illustration, what a great analogy as to understand what's going on, this settled account. Now, in, dis- in spite of a disparity, you know the disparity. One servant is given five talents, second is given two. This guy over here, the third servant, is given one talent. Okay, in spite of that, there's a basic equity in the whole thing. There's a recognition and a respect for their different abilities. Five gets five because of his abilities. Two gets two because of his abilities. One gets one because of his. So there's all of that. But they're all given, it, it, they're expecting, they, they're getting the same expectation. They're given that. And, 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 and it's, in that sense, there's, there's, it's the same kind of equity that comes with the judgment on the ten version. Everybody's starting at the same place. The outcomes that they're facing are the same outcomes. It's going to be the same. It's going to, and like the best justice, it's an equality of that. The first two, they immediately go out. They, you know, they look at once they go out. That's the new, American, new international version. Other versions say immediately they go out. They, they, <clears throat> they make the money work. They get back, and for the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, don't, get, don't miss this. I know that the five-talent guy brought five back. 
I know the two calendar, the guy brought two back. But they have 100%, both of them, 100% return on what was given them. Both of them, 100% return. And the master comes back, well done. That's the first judgment. A pat on the back, add a boy, add a girl. The judgment is they are good and faithful. And they are invited to enter into the joy of the master's kingdom, of the ma- their master's joy. Because they were faithful in few, they are being promoted to many. All good. Third servant comes in, and it's troubling. He begins to talk about what he did uh, without being questioned too much he, and why he did it. And it's the why he did it that causes us to look. He had knowledge about the, about the master. He knew, he knew this. Uh, and, and, and he was given responsibility. He was given an expectation. He knew when he went into us, it was the same for all three servants. A responsibility to do something with the master's money an expectation of what the master would want. But he has an excuse. For fear, he didn't act at once. What he did, some of you will say, well, that's an action. But it wasn't acceptable from, for the responsibility that was given him and the expectation that was given to him. In fear, he just dug a hole, buried it so no one would find it, Digs it up when the master comes back. And his outcome, the return that the master gets from it, is a 0% increase. He has his original one talent back. There it is. Okay. Now the master, this is where, this is where we've got to look closely here. His initial judgment is, it comes right out of his mouth. You wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, lazy person. And then he addresses the, the excuse. You knew, right? Well, if you knew I was this way, then you should have put it on deposit. You should have taken it to the bank and gained interest. And for those of you who are wondering about that, that's not a 20th century kind of thing put back on there. This is about banking. And yes, they had banks. Not quite as large or as convoluted or as difficult to deal with as our banks, <laughs> but they had banks, and the banks kept money, and the banks loaned money, and the banks, you know, used and set high interest rates on this, and so there would have been, there would have been some money bank. So you should have put it on the decision. And then the final judgment includes another wicked, lazy, worthless sermon, Okay? And the monies he had were taken from him. Now, the implication in that is that the monies, the five and the five that the first servant got, he got to keep working with that money. Two and two, work, keep working with it because it says give it to me. Anyway, you get the idea. But you worthless person, take the money away from him. And then there's a, a principle here. And I can't address it. It's just it's too much to get into today, and I won't address it, but I call it to your attention. Verse 20, 29. Verse 29 is something you're, you'll have to wrestle with on your own. It's a challenge. It truly is. 
Whoever has will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have, will be taken away from them. I leave it to you. I can't, I just don't have the time to do that. But throw this worthless person out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? Doesn't that shock anybody? He's getting thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is where the parable gets thrown into real life. And, and judgment comes and there's the entrance into joy. We love that, but there's a possibility. And since he's talking about kingdom, he's talking about people that dabble or involved in the kingdom. Very likely, and of course we're good Wesleyans this way, very likely people that have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and what they've done with the gifts that what they've done with what God has entrusted them, eh, they buried it. They didn't do anything with it. And they're thrown into the darkness where there's into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. And you might, well, if you were one of those people, you might, what did, I, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? We're going to deal with that in a little bit. Or you might want to just run out, where's the mercy? <laughs> where's the mercy? We're talking about judgment here and the judgment day. We're talking about justice. We're talking about the judge. All of those things are in this. And we've got to wrestle with this because this moment is when justice will be done. This moment is when the judgment will be made. This moment is when the judge sits, when the master returns. We'll get that in specifically in the next, next week. And it's good or bad, in or out, either or, not a both end. And it's based on a responsibility given to these guys and it's based on an expectation that something good will come from it. And it's based on a consequence which is immediately related, intimately related, related to what they do, the action they take, the choice they make. Now, to go back to a few good men, the judgment made like this conduct on becoming a Marine. Well, the conduct was on becoming a Marine, even though they were given an order, because it's not what Marines do. And even though someone above gave the order, they were not supposed to do that. It's a consequences of choices they made. It's a consequence of action. In this instant, this servant, what did he do? He surrendered to fear. Fear is not faith. He surrendered. He did not. He, he gave up his responsibility. He gave up the expectation. And he just, I'm afraid of this master. I'm afraid what he's going to ask from me. And he surrendered to the fear. So wrong on so many levels. He surrendered to the fear. I want to look a little bit more closely at this. Judgment, justice, a judge. 
We think we know about it. You know that in the United States, our, the symbol of justice is this statue of a woman holding a balance, and she's blindfolded, right? And in our system of justice, blindness is an important piece. And the claim of that blindness and the aspiration of that justice is about equal justice for all. They can't see whoever is involved with what's going on. They can't see how much better looking you are or how much poorer you are or how much you can make from the... They, the it's blind. It gives... Okay, that's all good. We understand that. That's real good. Now, the judgment here... In the passage is the judgment about the bottom line, the end time. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of justice. And at this point, it becomes, we become like our own lawyers because we start wrestling with things like the legality of it, the, ethical, the ethics of it, the morality of it, the theological implications. And it gets so, we may, it's so complicated, and it is complicated, it's very difficult. And all of us, when we're in this position, all of us would be ready to plead our own case, lawyer or not, ready to argue before the judge, ready to make excuses. We, we get that. All of us are dealing with what about original sin? What about what about the you know what about the problem that we live with? And in this instance, some of us, the redeemed, the justified. This is a kingdom reality, and this parable, because we are the redeemed, because we are justified by faith, this parable is about us. Is this going to be a problem? And the judge and the judgment, we're hoping that there's blindness in it, just because someone's, you know, different, whatever. But we also have to wonder sometimes because sometimes we think that judges have to be indifferent. That's what a legalistic judge, someone who doesn't, kind of the, the, the extreme of the blindness, indifference. You've seen that in, in <laughs> I can say this now, I, can't, I don't think I'll be able to say it in the second service. But when we studied the Merchant of Venice in, in high school, remember that, or, or in, in, in school? When we study Merchant of Ventures, the pound of flesh, that indifference, the law is indifferent. You, you, you contracted for a pound of flesh, you didn't specify blood, so there's an indifference to that. Oh, golly, so we expect God to be blind in judgment. We expect God to be indifferent. But wait a minute, God's not indifferent. And then we bring our own experience. And all of us have had wildly different experiences growing up. Some lived with indulgent parents. Some lived with enabling parents. Some lived with capricious parents who were all over the map. Some had rigid and severe and must do this. Some were cruel. Some were even malicious and abusive. And some just they lived for that moment where they could make somebody else pay. And they delighted in it. And our judgment, we know about punitive judgment and retributive judgment, restoring all of that. That's part of our legal system. Pretty much the, the, the criminal courts and the, and the civil courts. We, we get that. But all of that coming in, that's our experience. And all of that comes in. And when we hear about justice, then we start making, we understand it, we interpret it 
And we read and interpret the parable based on what we've experienced it. Based on what we know about God. That's what I find really significant here. The servant said, I knew that you are this. He knew something about the master. He'd been watching it. He'd heard about it. He probably saw him doing this. But you get the sense that he really didn't know the master. This is the same master who entrusted him, even though it was only one talent. A talent is what? A, a thousand, you know, a thousand, ten thousand dollars. I was trying to get, a, get an idea of what it But it was a lot of money, a lot of gold, a lot of silver. And he was entrusted with that, so he's entrusted to it. And, and so, you know, he, he only had a partial view of the master. And when we hear about these things about justice, and at some point somebody's going to be thrown out into the outer darkness, and somebody's going to be thrown into to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, we immediately, all we see is this God is so indifferent. This God is so cruel. This God is so vindictive. This God, and people do that. You understand that? This God is so harsh. How can you talk about a loving God? How can you talk about a caring God when this judgment is so bad? I would remind you last week, I asked you to look at these parables with that sense of sadness that I sensed in this as Jesus is talking because there's grief in this on the part of Jesus. There's grief in this on the part of God. You know, for years, for <laughs> decades, for centuries, for, for millennia, Christians have been cu- accused of being too cr- hypercritical, hyperjudgmental, vindictive, harsh, uncaring. And honestly, you and I have all experienced that from other believers. And the world's right. We've seen them, we've witnessed it, I kind of that. But we don't say God is like that. That would be an incomplete, fallible, even sin-filled understanding of God. And to rejoice, and, and I can't tell you how important this is in the current culture we live in, to rejoice over those who are finally getting what is due them. Ooh, that's a great temptation, even for believers. And ultimately, it comes down to we have an incomplete, an incomplete, at best, fallible, mistaken, vile, sinful, dysfunctional, projected human nature on God. The God who is perfect love. The God who is perfectly righteous. The God who is perfectly good. The God who is perfectly just. The God who makes perfect judgments. The perfect judge. It leaves us with really two challenges. 
Just two challenges I want to bring. The first, we'll come back to the, this knowledge of God. But the first one is, is just from the parable. And as you read it and as you reflect on it, every one of us has to sit there and say, okay, what did God entrust to me? What skills? What talents? What time? What resources? What personality? What education? What did God entrust to me? And what was my responsibility with that? And what was the expectation he had of that? And then, of course, this judgment is back to what did I, what am I doing with it? What did I do with it? How can I change that? How can I get back on God's track? That's, that's, that's the parable. Okay, I get that. But I think the greater challenge is it confronts us that we don't know God as he wants us to know him. We don't know God as he truly is. We don't want to deal with the reality that my knowledge, your knowledge, is incomplete, fallible. We don't want to address the issue of to get to know God, we've got to spend more time with God. We've got to spend more time learning about God. That's why he gives us scripture. Understanding it, we've got to, and we've got to, see, we've got to seek some advice here. The Holy Spirit. And to know God fully, even in heaven, is a never-ending, joy-filled, life-giving challenge. Now, you should rejoice. Christians should rejoice. Because here we are living at a time when what we believe about God, if I was a reality cooking show, what I believe about God is on the chopping block. And we've got to bring that up. We've got to bring that to really what, how God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you. Thank you that you are perfect in every way. And we, we can't, we can't we're, we're so limited in our ability to understand but don't let it stop us. Don't let us then lay at your feet something that we just don't understand. Help us to, to admit our own fallibility, our own projection of what's happened to us and even sometimes what, is, what we're like. And take us deeper into knowing our gracious God. Holy Spirit, lead us. Holy Spirit, convict us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.